Hello, everyone. My next guest is Michael Montero. Michael Montero writes for The Ring magazine, Boxing Monthly magazine, and is a regular guest on several national sports radio shows. Beyond his journalistic work, Montero has done hosting, commentary, and unofficial media scoring for live fights cards. He sits on the Divisional Ratings Committee for several publications. Enjoy the show, everybody. We're live. Michael Montero, how's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing very good, actually. All things considered with all this uh, virus and quarantine and self-isolation, I yeah. feel like this is, this is sort of a, I don't know, I'm ashamed to say, but it's sort of a blessing that everyone's at home and, uh, you know, everyone's just have nothing to do but to be at home and put out content. And I'm yeah. just... Uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of utilizing this opportunity and reaching out to people like yourself and asking you to be on my podcast because I know none of y'all are going to have an excuse anymore to, to be on my show. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, man, I think that guys like yourself, guys like myself, we're actually the ones putting out the content right now in the boxing world, right? Exactly. So fights and the, the networks aren't doing anything for us. So these kind of conversations and everything, it's kind of keeping the ball rolling. And know, keeping man. the positive energy, right? Which we what need. You, exactly, that content. And, you know, what do you think about that? How come networks are still, you know, failing to put out good quality, entertaining content? Is that because it's just such a short time span and they usually don't plan so quickly? Like, what's, what's the reason? Yeah. Where, where's the content? Where's the entertainment? The fresh yeah, one? I think it's a lack of, well, for the new people like The Zone, it's a lack of experience in the mm -hmm. boxing game and understanding that, even if before a global pandemic happens, there's going to be lulls in the schedule and mm -hmm. you have to have that shoulder programming. One thing HBO boxing did a great job of for years was having shows like, um, oh, I'm trying to, what was the name? Legendary nights was the mm -hmm. name of the series that they had where they had like Gotti Ward and, uh, Bo Galata and all these great fights, mm -hmm. uh, Chavez Taylor. Right. So they had that kind of shoulder programming that they could put on during a lull in the schedule. Mm -hmm. The zone has nothing right now. I mean, at least Showtime mm -hmm. has some classic fights that they've been showing. Like last night, they showed the uh, Corrales Castillo fights one and two. Right. They showed um, Vasquez Marquez, those fights a couple mm -hmm. weeks back. I know <clears throat> ESPN's been showing some classic fights. So uh, some of the networks are showing classic fights, but like the mm -hmm. shoulder programming, there's mm -hmm. nothing there. And I've been saying for a while that some of these networks need to pick up some podcasts. There, there's a lot of great boxing podcasts out there. There's some that aren't so great, mm -hmm. but there's some really, really good ones, right? And right. I think these networks going forward, maybe this is an opportunity now where they see, okay, we can pick up some of the shoulder programming. And even if, let's say, PBC on Fox, let's say they pick up a podcast, they've just put it on their YouTube channel. That's mm -hmm. a huge opportunity for them. So that might be something that changes in the game going forward. Especially uh, considering the fact that even though things might get better with coronavirus, they all say about the second wave. Maybe it's not the first time oh, yeah. that we're doing this, or not the last time that we're being, you know, isolated at home. So uh, they need to be ready for that. And uh, but yeah, so you'd say you'd say podcasting would be the one thing. I'm just try I'm, try I'm trying to brainstorm. Like we're all criticizing, you know, networks for not doing anything. But like, really, what can you do? Like, what what else can you come up with besides just putting people, you know, into the Zoom screen and 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 make them talk? Yeah. I was I'm, I'm wondering what else can you do. Well, you think about it, if you have um, content from actual boxing people, 
the, the thing with the boxing media right now is mm-hmm. it's not it, newspapers are dying magazines are dying one of the magazines i write for j- just announced that we're going away the uh, content is wait, online what was that boxing monthly oh yeah yeah i heard about yeah, it. boxing yeah. monthly magazine uh, our last issue will be next month and, and that's it yes I, I, so, I for some reason thought you're talking about the ring anyways please the ring's good now. for now we're yeah. and the, the reason why the ring is thriving is because the ring does a lot of digital, digital. content yeah. and yeah. does uh streaming of fights uh we put on all kinds of material like weigh-ins and all that kind of stuff so that's the wave of the future and, and mm-hmm. i think that if you can provide that content in digital platforms on apps mm-hmm. that can help the next time look there's going to be pandemics like this in the future i think this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg things like mm-hmm. this we're so interconnected now you, you know like people travel uh, internationally all the time and these things can spread so fast this coronavirus thing it basically took over the world in two months not even two yeah. months so who's to say something like this doesn't happen again? So mm-hmm. I think now you're going to see people planning for the future more, and not just in boxing, but but in all sports, all entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So that's that's what I'm also thinking. But it's definitely going to bring some change into the industry as well. In any case, uh, this podcast is about you. It's about Michael Montero. And I would like wow. to talk about you because, you know, when I was trying to find some information, all right, we're well, drinking I'm beer. Just- I'm going to interrupt for a quick second. This is my first beer in 76 days. So we're going to uh, celebrate. I just finished a training program today. I'm going to crack this. But continue, sir. I'm sorry. I <laughs> That's I fine. I'm, I'm actually pretty like stoked that you... I can, a cheap I can, plug for a Peroni beer here. <laughs> I can't imagine how exciting this is for you right now to, to, oh my God. <laughs> to have that first sip of ice cold beer. Oh, <laughs> my God. This is going to be so great. I've been waiting for this. I just did a brutal run outside. And uh, that's so why exactly? my throat's a little... Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's with the training? What what is it? What are you? What are you exactly? What do oh. you do? What's with the 70, 72 day, to, yeah, seventy two days and all that? Yeah. So it's called seventy five hard. Look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Hashtag seventy five hard, and it's seventy five straight days, two workouts a day, uh, a diet, no alcohol, no sweets. You actually have to read oh. ten pages of a self help book a day. It's more of a discipline and mental strength program than a training uh-huh. program. The uh-huh. physical training—that's the easy part, really. Well, for you, it's all yeah. the other things. <laughs> Drink a <laughs> gallon of water a day. It's all these different rules, but nice. it's put on by a guy named Andy Frisella, and okay. he is an entrepreneur. Uh, runs several different companies. He's a motivational speaker. The, used to have a great podcast called the MF CEO Project, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend. It's awesome, mm-hmm. especially for young men in an age where I think a lot of young men are being passed by in our society, not paying attention to men anymore. It's almost kind of vogue and cool to shit on boys, young boys now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great podcast for, for young men, but everyone. It's actually my fiance who put me onto it. So, um, so it's, it's men and women. But he has a new podcast out now called Real AF, where he just talks about all the bullshit in the world. He's a no-nonsense kind of guy. Anyway, uh-huh. I wanted to do this program. Uh-huh. It just so happens, you know, I picked the shittiest time ever to do it because <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic. The gym's closed up halfway through it, so I had to get really creative. But we finished it today, so salute. Congratulations, man. Congratulations, man. Thank you. I'm going to drink some water for you. Water is good too. I, I've had a gallon or so of that already today. So, oh man, that tasted good. Oh yes. Right, sorry, quick tangent. We can get back it's, to it's, boxing it's all, now. No, it's all, it's all cool. And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I don't only want to talk about boxing, but just about your life in general. I, I know that there's so much more to you than just boxing. Uh, speaking of the, the challenge in the podcast, I just bought this book uh, by Jocko Willing. 
Cole. Oh, I love uh, Jocko. Oh, yeah? I was about He's to ask you. Man. Yeah. Bro. Damn. Yeah. So he has this uh, thing that's called discipline equals freedom. Yep. And it's such a cool content uh, concept because, um, because it's sort of contrary to itself. You know, you think that discipline actually, you know, uh, not gives you that, that freedom because you're, you're limiting yourself in certain ways by that discipline. But this whole philosophy is more about, you know, when you are limiting yourself and when you are staying on point and that actually gives you that mental, mental freedom. You know that gives you more. I guess it, it empowers you more. What do what do you what do you think about that? I completely agree. Um, I, I think that people actually crave discipline, and it's something that once you master it, it's mm-hmm. a skill. It really is a skill. Once you master it, your life just gets better, and you'll you'll find that uh, if you live day to day and you're kind of stuck day to day, you don't see anything changing. You're like nothing's happening. But month to month, year to year, you start looking back. You're like, holy shit. I was mm-hmm. here last year. Now I'm here. Now I'm here. And you, you know, you, you see that build and that comes from discipline. It's doing simple right. little things, little building blocks. It really does build up to big things. Do you have any sort of uh, rules internally? Like besides the 75 day challenge on the day to day life, do you have some sort of, do you maintain some sort of discipline? And, and if yes, then what exactly do you do? Uh, well, there's several guys I look to for that kind of stuff. Jocko is one of them. Andy Frisella is another guy. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Jordan Peterson. Yeah. He has a book, 12 Rules for Life, that I actually read during this program I just did. Awesome it's from book. Toronto, where, where I am right now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I forgot. Is from, yeah, you're in Toronto now. Yeah, yeah. I'm now right? in Canada. Okay. Proud okay. Canadian. <laughs> I did, yeah, but where were you before? Were you always, you were somewhere else. So I'm from Kazakhstan. And yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 17, I went to, uh, to California to you know, okay. study English, graduate from school, worked there for you know, five years and you know, got my master's degree and all of that. So worked and uh, yeah, they, I just couldn't get the, the work visa that, required, that, allow, that would allow me to work more. America. So yeah, so I was we like, okay. turning away talent. I don't, <laughs> we, we need to fix our system. It's so stupid. I've run into so many people like you that mm-hmm. are educated, qualified, want to stay in America and we turn you guys away to other countries. So I don't get it, but I can rant on that for well, an hour. Yeah. Well now Canada has my talent. So exactly. there you go. <laughs> I, I saw so many people come to, uh, you know, living in LA, you see so many people come to like UCLA mm-hmm. schools like that from China, uh, mm-hmm. from India, from other parts of the world. And they come on a, you know, a education visa or whatever, and then they get their degree and then we're like, yeah, go home now. It's like, what? Keep that talent <laughs> here. What are you doing? You're I know it's crazy. Talent away. Like, and but, the crazy um, thing is, is that I got to Canada solely based of my American experience. So I, because when you need to, get to, uh, to submit documents to Canada, you have to prove that you know the language, that you have a, a bachelor's, you have a master's, and you have certain years of work experience. And so all of that was given to me by the United States. I mean, I paid for most of it, but uh, it, it, other things were provided to me still by just America as a society, as a culture, and, and all of that, right? So America still invested things in me. Mm-hmm. at least on the intangible scale. And then I take all of that and I bring it to Canada. To our competitor. <laughs> so that's, well, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a cool program by Canadians just to get all the talent. And I'm, I'm, I'm an accountant by trade. I'm, I'm not even that high of a return on investment, but imagine all that IT people who get exactly. those, you know, six-figure yeah. salaries and, and doing startups and millions and millions of dollars just and hackers. come to Canada. A hackers, lot of them go back home and become they, they hackers. Go, go back to Russia. Into our shit. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So um, good, good for Canada. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you like Toronto? I've only been up there once. 
I love everything about it. It's just the weather, man. After nine years in California, yeah. it's just you get spoiled. brutal, man. Yeah, I get spoiled. And, but it's just even for my city in Kazakhstan, it's still super cold here. It's still cold. Like I'm still like quarantine, no quarantine. I'm, I'd still be sitting home right now. And uh, I was working from home for the longest time uh, for, uh, for my company, which actually is in America. And, uh, and yeah, so I would just be sitting at home anyways. Yeah. So other than that, it's beautiful uh, during summer. Like I'm, li- I'm really looking forward to it. I, I heard the summers like, are great. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's very like sports oriented city. There is some boxing here too. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm trying to like introduce myself to as many people as possible. I already had some guests here from local boxing scene on my on my podcast. Went to some shows. It's pretty cool. I I love it. I feel like Toronto can have like has a good um. There's a huge opportunity to 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 do boxing in Toronto, oh, yeah. um, so really hoping for that. Went to Montreal. Montreal is really huge on boxing too. Yeah, um, it's even the even ma- colder. The man. Boxing capital of Canada. Yeah, that's that. Montreal. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the fans there are hardcore. But it's so cold there. It's even colder in Montreal than in Toronto. I don't know, man. You're I need to really to the water. Yeah, yeah, I need to really get used to it. Uh, but yeah, other than that, people are friendly. Everything's cool. Um, yeah. You know, I love it. I love it. Definitely That's visit cool. it. Check it out. Let me know if you're coming over. We'll we'll have a have a beer or something. Hell yeah, yeah, man. Speaking of that, yeah, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> but yeah, Jordan Peterson, man. So I'm assuming your room is all is all clean. Yeah, well, Tiffany, my fiance, does most of that now. Uh, she, <laughs> she makes the bed and does all that stuff. But what do you do? If she's she's do, she's doing the podcast tech and she does the. <laughs> the I do the. Uh, I build the house. We we came out oh, here yeah. to Atlanta. Yeah. And I bought, this house is probably 60 years old and basically stripped it down to the studs and I've rebuilt it over the last year, year and a half. I was so, following I mean, you on that because you were posting some pictures yeah. of, of your remodeling of the house and all of that. So that was, that was pretty cool. It's all by yourself. Yeah, pretty much, man. That's why I'm, I always look so exhausted right now. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, you talk about discipline and everything else. You know, I don't talk about a lot of this stuff uh, on my profile all the time, but right. I have so many things going on in my personal life, I, you know, with, with my family mm-hmm. and everything else. Um, my mother lives uh, four hours away from here and she has health issues. Uh, so there's just a lot going on in my personal life and my family that mm-hmm. um, I don't know how I find time in the day to do all this stuff. You know, I have a day job, a regular day job mm-hmm. that pays the bills. And then with boxing, fortunately, I make a good supplemental income from boxing mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And every free minute I have, and I'm not training or something, I'm I'm working here on the house. I mean, I'm coming to you from a studio that I built, and mm-hmm. this is ultimately why I left LA. I couldn't have this in LA. Mm-hmm. What's great about LA is I had access to all the fights, the gyms, the fighters. Right. Which I mean, you can't buy that. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But here, I could build a studio, so I can basically control my own universe here. And my goal is, at least for the next few years is to kind of build up my brand and everything else. Um, my show and all that. Mm-hmm. And then who knows, maybe I'll end up back in LA. Maybe it's New York. I don't know. Will so, I die in Atlanta? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably so not. actually, well, by the way, I, I'm hearing that Atlanta is, is, is booming right now in terms of the culture and the music scene yeah. and the hip hop industry. Like it's, it's, it's becoming like the new Hollywood it's, it, as far television. as what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why we chose Atlanta. Uh, we looked at a few different cities. So when I got engaged in uh, last year, last year, uh, just over a year ago, mm-hmm. um, me and my fiance, we looked at a few different cities because she does not want to raise kids in LA. She's like, hell no. 
not raising kids in LA. Uh Okay, fine. So we looked at different cities and I like Chicago. It was one of Uh my favorite towns Uh because it's, it's like a big city, but not too big. It still feels like, you know, a town. It doesn't feel like LA or New York. It's more like a Toronto, you know what I'm saying? Where it's big, but not too big. Mm -hmm. And that's how Atlanta is too. Um, We looked at Dallas, but Atlanta has a a media presence, a really, really Mm -hmm. growing media presence. Mm -hmm. And I thought there's really zero boxing community here. What if I was on the ground floor to try to help start building Mm -hmm. boxing here? So that's my ultimate goal, you know, to while I build my brand here is to get involved in the commission and see if I can bring more fights Mm -hmm. here. We got Trevante Davis here trying to get top rank to bring some shows here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, different promoters. You know, I've talked to anybody I can. Hey, man, you need to come here. We just had a freaking Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They've had Olympics here. They've had right. Super Bowls here. What the hell are you doing? Get Deontay Wilder here. Deontay Wilder comes here and parties all the time. All, nice. all the strip clubs, they all know Deontay very that, well. That's, that's why he lost probably. <laughs> well, he, he does like to come here and have a good time. I'll just put it to you that way. <laughs> okay. It's only about a two-hour drive. I, I think it's like two hours from where he's from. Alabama? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. this is like the, for the South, basically, this is the one city that exists in the South, you know, the one <laughs> big city. That's it. All right. So unless you consider Dallas, this, I guess Dallas would be the South. So Texas, but Texas is its own thing. Yeah. Other than Texas, it's Atlanta. That's it. That's the one. So everyone around here drives to Atlanta, hangs out. But, um, you anyway. know, when, when I realized that you're moving out of LA I was first I was like what the hell like what why everyone you know? was and but then I was like oh he's doing that thing that everyone's talking about but no one does like oh like screw LA just just move somewhere like where it's less expensive and just do your thing there and you're the first person who actually I who I you know follow does it you're actually doing this right now and I'm looking at you right now you, you've mentioned you have your studio and and you know you wouldn't be able to do this in in Los Angeles pretty much because everyone's living in this expensive ass apartments that you have to like pay two thousand dollars or even more for rent and oh, yeah. you you don't get you you don't get any space for that forget about buying a house there I mean yeah for a couple of meals for like a meal and a half or whatever or you know if you're lucky you can get nine hundred thousand dollars somewhere like in the valley or whatever so yeah uh, I'm actually live in the valley <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like I, w- I got so excited, like basically just I, like I was excited to follow you and see how it's going to work out. And then I don't know how I got that in- information. Maybe I read it on your Twitter replies or anything like that you're trying to like, I remember you saying that you want to uh, start this scene of boxing in, in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm super stoked about it. And, and then I think you posted a picture of your house from the outside. And that mansion is gigantic. I did not expect, I don't know, like, I was just like, whoa, like, this is like a, a house house, like, what, how they would portray a house, like, in the 70s, you know, like, a real yeah, house. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big, man. I, <laughs> I, I probably overdid it, but uh, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, man. I, had, I owned a condo in L.A., like a okay. tiny little shoebox in Koreatown, right? Okay. And that was, that's a working class neighborhood. There's crime there. It's not the worst part of L.A., but it's certainly not the oh, yeah. best part of town. Yeah, right? I've been there. Yeah, yeah, many times. Lots of car theft, lots of rape, just lots of craziness. Um, but I sold that condo in that type of neighborhood. And I bought a house here in one of the best neighborhoods in Atlanta. One of the, some of the best schools in the state Damn. for a quarter million less. <laughs> a quarter million less than I sold my condo for in LA. It doesn't make any sense, man. I have half an acre of land here. Uh, the house is like 3,500 square feet or maybe a little more than that, actually. Mm-hmm. And then I just added a garage. I just built a garage. 
I still uh-huh. got to finish it. Uh-huh. But like just to have that here, it's insane. It's just, yeah. insane. you know, I could never have this in LA. So that's part of why I did it. But then also, yeah, I mean, it's in, my plan is in stages. And right now mm-hmm. it's getting the house together, mm-hmm. getting married, doing all that stuff. But starting at the end of this year into next year, I want to start getting into the commission. And I've already talked to a few folks about possibly getting involved, uh, scoring some fights, doing, starting there, and then building myself up to mm-hmm. see if w- we can change some things to get some fights here. Because this market's wide open. I feel mm-hmm. like, a, like a mobster going to a brand new city where there's no <laughs> other mobsters there. And you know, it's like, holy shit, this town's wide open. <laughs> have you seen Lilyhammer? Uh, no, Netflix? no. Uh, have you seen Sopranos? Of course, yeah. Yeah, of course you did. And uh, what's his name? Not Polly, the other one. Sil. So Silvio? Silvio. Yeah. Silvio Dante, yeah. Basically, it's on Netflix. It's a show based on Silvio oh, yeah, Dante, played by that. Silvio Dante. So it's, it's the same exact character, the same exact actor. It's just he, he has okay. a different name, obviously. But he just goes to Norway for the witness protection program. And it's Norway? Like the, Norway, yeah. Holy like shit. The, 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 the place called Lilyhammer. Okay. Uh, and yeah, so it's, everyone is a Nordic. The whole show is half Swedish or half Norwegian, like in terms of language. And so he basically starts a, a crime family there. With this that's sweets. hilarious <laughs> I, i'm surprised you haven't seen it i mean it's amazing no but you know what that might be the next one on the list is that netflix yeah it's on netflix oh dude all right if we're still on lockdown that'll be the next yeah. one to check out and it's just yeah, silly man. like with the whole mannerisms and all that's hilarious <laughs> yeah you know he had that guy had never acted his name's steven van zandt he had yeah, never yeah, acted yeah. before the sopranos never once. yeah he's a musician he's like yeah bruce springsteen bruce springsteen yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with his uh, like uh, guitarist or something, and then he has his own yeah. thing going on too. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the show, uh, The Sopranos, and I feel like I watched it like at least once every year. But uh, yeah, his character. Is yeah, the best. It's, I yeah, still man. think it's the best show ever. I love it. Me too. It's, me too. It's very realistic, and you know, people ask me about that. How realistic is the show? Is some of the mob stuff a little played up and everything? Yes, of course. Uh-huh. But the the dynamic of it all. You know the modern mafia. It's it's pretty damn realistic. It really mm-hmm. is. So yeah, but it's just you know what's what's cool about that show. It's 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 just like yeah, it's a mobster show, but it's really not about the mafia. You know, yeah, it's you know family. what I mean? It's about yeah. family, right? And it's just that's and that's like that sort of angle is just so cool. I just recently rewatched Mad Men. I think for the third time in my life. Have you seen okay. Mad Men? I haven't seen the whole series. I've only so I, that's another one I need to watch. The whole so thing. Matthew Weiner is the producer of the show. He actually. Uh, worked on Sopranos as well, uh, along with David Chase. David Chase. And okay. so you can see a lot of dynamics in terms of uh, the, the plot and, you know, the tricks okay. that they're using, you know, the psychology and all of that, the, the, the character-centric, you know, the whole plot. It's just very Sopranos and it's just so high quality. I love it. Okay. Definitely check it out, man. All right. But yeah, so it's exciting. So you came to Atlanta to conquer the city. Once you're going to finish your, your business here with the, with the house and with your mm-hmm. family and all, you're going to go on the attack. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I moved to LA when I was 30. I, uh-huh. I had no job. I had no money. Where you I from? had a few thousand dollars in the bank. But I, I uh, had been laid off from my job. I had no prospects. Mm-hmm. I had always wanted to go to LA. And I just thought, what the fuck? So I, mm-hmm. I had uh, my car at that time was a PT Cruiser. I had like a soccer mom car. It was like, <laughs> I think a 2001 PT Cruiser or something. This is like 2009 when I drove out there. Mm-hmm. And um, literally I drove out there with my clothes and I had a computer and that was it. And I drove out there and I slept on a friend's floor for six months. 
Uh-huh. And from there, I built myself up. So let's and start from it, the beginning. Okay. Where are you from? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm originally from Detroit. I grew up in Detroit. So I understand what you're saying about the cold weather mm-hmm. in Toronto. I basically yeah. grew up in that. And um, that's where I grew up. Um, I was in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And in the Marine Corps, I moved around to a few different places. So, so, tell, me, so tell me about the Marine Corps. How, how did that decision come about? Um, my best friend went into the Marine Corps and I kind of followed him in. And at the time I was kind of a street kid and I was doing some petty crimes and scams and, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up around that kind of thing. So I was kind of, uh, you know, a two bid hustler kind of guy mm-hmm. and, um, what it was getting into some trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think that, <clears throat> you know, we talked about at the top of the show, discipline, craving discipline. I think there was part of me that craved that. And my parents had me when they were very young. My parents were teenagers when they had me. Mm-hmm. And I was actually born in a trailer park. I grew up in a trailer park. So that's like a know, setup we, for eight mile movie right there. Yes. An Italian name. <laughs> yes. Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm part Eastern European too. So an Italian, oh, Eastern European. So you're the homie. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically what I grew up around. You know, and um, it, it was interesting. My, my childhood was an interesting mix. So I lived in predominantly black neighborhoods most mm-hmm. of my childhood, but also at times my, my really early years was predominantly Italian neighborhoods. So I grew up with a very heavy Italian American influence and a heavy African American influence, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, anyway, I, going into the Marines was just kind of getting, trying to get out of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. out of some of the, the downward spiral I was in. And, and then what year was it? What year? Yeah. Shit. Um, I graduated high school in 97. I went uh-huh. into the Marines in 98. Er, okay. Very, very early 1998. Okay. And then um, I actually got out just before 9-11. Right. I remember that because it was very surreal to finish up my contract and all that, my active duty, mm-hmm. uh, just before 9-11 happened. And Mm -hmm. I was in, I was on this thing called inactive reserve where Mm -hmm. basically they can call you up if the shit really hits the fan. And I was on that list for a couple of years. And part of me wondered, are they going to call me up? But it never happened. It's Um, funny because I'm on that list too, even though I never served. But in Kazakhstan, they, they, they put you on that list. You know, you have to like go and get your, you know, military documents. I didn't serve because I was a student and then I was like in the master's program and all that abroad. So basically, and by the age age of 27, you're not uh, uh, eligible for military service. Okay. So, but they still give you like the documents to, to make sure that you are as a reservist. So you're in the reserve. So they can call you. So you can, they they can call you. Yeah. Yeah. I was on that for a few years after my active duty was done. Mm-hmm. But uh, fortunately, I wasn't called up. But s- several of the guys I served with that became really good friends mm-hmm. ended up going overseas. A couple of them didn't make it back. Oh. It was a tough time, man. Mm-hmm. But um, that experience, that was actually the first time I saw California. I was briefly stationed in 29 Palms, California, which is in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're two hours, I think like two hours between Vegas and Palm Springs and kind of mm-hmm. that area. Uh, it's close to Joshua Tree. I don't know if you ever heard of Joshua Tree nope. Park. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just the middle of nowhere. And, and basically, okay. that base, they are preparing you for tr- fighting in the Middle East and North Africa. Mm-hmm. That's basically what they are prepping us for. So mm-hmm. um, all before the 
second Iraq war before 9-11, we ended up going to Afghanistan. I mm-hmm. think they kind of knew that's where things were headed and we were going to end up going anyway before mm-hmm. we did because mm-hmm. they were really preparing us. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in, I think we had just finished up in Bosnia and, and some of that stuff, but they mm-hmm. were really prepping everyone to be going to the Middle East. So I did a lot of that sort of training, uh, training in the mountains out there. But there was one weekend where one, I didn't have a car, but one of my friends had a car. Mm-hmm. And we were like, dude, let's go to LA. Fuck it. So <laughs> a, a few of us got together. We were like 19 or some shit. <laughs> but we had, we had uh, one guy had a fake ID. We drove to LA. We found a hotel. And we went to a couple different bars. And um, everyone kept kicking us out because we were under 21. But oh, finally, okay. you know, we slipped one guy, a bouncer, some extra money. And he, uh, we ended up having a really good time. And uh-huh. just, um, there was four of us young guys having some beers, hanging out. And that was my first time seeing LA, seeing palm trees mm-hmm. and, um, the women. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, <laughs> oh my God, I just never seen anything like that. <laughs> and we weren't even man. at the beach or anything, man. We were just downtown. I'm like, holy shit. So that was my first time seeing LA. So it was 10 years later, I ended up moving there. But I always kind of was curious about it and wanted to go back. So moving there at 30 with absolutely nothing, people thought it was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's Just pretty like late. Moving, like 30, 30 years old, like it, it's probably... I don't know. It's, 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 it's like a, a huge step to just, you know, drop everything and just go to another city. It was scary. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, it, it was I've made several bold decisions like that in my life. And mm-hmm. some of them have worked. Some of them have not. Um, some of them have worked, some of them have not, but every time I do a, make a decision like that, people are like, yo, you're crazy. What the hell are you doing? You know, you're an idiot, <laughs> but in the end it works out and moving right. to LA was the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. I feel like I left at the right time and now Why do you think so? it's gotten so much worse there, man. I've gone back several times for work to cover fights and everything. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. the neighborhood that my place was in, it's just dirtier. There's more homeless. There's more graffiti. It's more trash. The building right. is in worse shape than when I sold it. Mm-hmm. I sold at the peak. Everything's yeah, gone down a little true. bit after I sold, man. I sold that place. That was what, 2017? 2018? 2018. Yeah, yeah, Spring yeah, of 2018, was... bro. Absolute peak. I, it was Good perfect job, timing. For Good once job. in my life, I had perfect <laughs> timing. It's the only time. Oh, but yeah, um, yeah I, I, so look, it, LA is not going anywhere. You know, and like I said, 10 years from now, I might move back there. I might move to New York. Who, who knows? I might move to London. You know, <laughs> wherever the opportunities are, that's where I'm going to go. But I think right now there's, there's an opportunity here where I'm at. And mm-hmm. it, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, so you moved to LA. You were 30 years old. Uh, how did you end up being a writer and a boxing journalist? So I had been blogging about boxing actually for years before that. Uh, there was a site called Eastside Boxing, which was kind of a fan site where anyone could post articles and stuff. And I started posting there probably 2001, 2002, something like that. And, you know, I could barely formulate a sentence. I had no education at all. Uh-huh. I still can almost half form a sentence <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but uh, I've gotten better. But um, so I had experience writing and expressing my opinion. And I had done a little bit of acting 
which has actually helped me in boxing oh, a that's lot. right. I forgot. Yeah. Like then there's yeah. the whole acting thing. Get, we could talk LA. about that too. Um, okay. Because in LA, that really came into play. Like I didn't expect some of the things that happened to happen, but... Um, so what came first, acting or boxing? Or it kind of was boxing, like... Boxing. Okay. Boxing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've loved boxing forever, you know, and I've loved to train and everything uh, and compete and stuff like that uh, at a small, small level forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we boxed in the Marines. We did hand-to-hand -hand combat, you know, training and everything in the Marine Corps. So I always enjoyed that. But um, the way I got involved in L.A. is in 2010, we had the World Series of Boxing. Mm -hmm. We had a team in L.A. called the Los Angeles Matadors. Mm -hmm. And there was a fighter on the team from Texas. And I'd go to the gyms and I'd train, I'd hang out. One of the guys there at the gym knew him and was from the same town in Texas and was like, hey, man, if you will write, I guess there was a magazine back in mm -hmm. Texas that covered the amateur scene. And he's like, if you write about this guy, we can get you credentialed to these fights. And I was like, what the hell is a credential? <laughs> I, have, I had no idea what that was. What the hell is that? Okay. So he, he explained it to me. Yeah, you could be pressed and you could sit, you know, and I'm like, I don't have a degree. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. He's right. like, you know your shit. Just go do it. Okay. So I started doing that and I started covering the World Series of Boxing, Los Angeles Matadors. Um, mm -hmm. and I think they were there for three seasons and I just worked my way up from there. So, so anyone helped you with writing? I mean, I know it's like writing for press. I mean, that's probably super difficult. Yeah. I, you know, some of my articles got ripped, uh, <laughs> you know how people online are. So before Twitter, right. when I would post some articles and some blogs and stuff, people would be like, who the fuck is this guy? There used to be sites where like there was the comment section. Right. You know, and they, in the comment section, they'd be like, you know, dude, your grammar sucks. And, you know, people, you know, there, there was trolls way before Twitter. People <laughs> talk. So I've been used to people talking shit forever. And I was like, okay, okay. So I put a semicolon next time here. And then I put a period there. And I just kind of learned by screwing up. That's mm -hmm. just kind of how I learned stuff by screwing up. So I just built myself up that way. And over the years, I think there have been a few people that I guess have seen some potential in me and they've, they've taken me under their wing and given me opportunities. And um, anytime I've had a chance, the smallest opportunity, I crushed it. I, I put 100% in. I did a lot of work for free, a lot mm -hmm. of work for free. And that really is where I cut my teeth. I paid my dues. And I got to a certain point where I'm like, I ain't doing free work no more. Fuck that. You're going to mm -hmm. pay me now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where I'm at now. It's not like I'm a, I'm a millionaire and I'm, right. you know, in boxing, you don't make a lot of money. Right. But, um, you know, I'm so fortunate, so blessed right now to be working with Ring and before that, you know, up until recently, Boxing Monthly and mm -hmm. some other platforms where I can write for a very reputable publication and, you know, um, show what I can do, show how much I've grown. Mm -hmm. I still have plenty. I still have a lot of growing that I need to do, but I've done a lot of growing and I can get paid for it and people respect what I'm doing. So that's awesome. What can you recall a, like, this is it moment for you in boxing uh, media? Like, Oh, like I'm it, like I'm, I'm there. Like I'm, you know, I'm in the business. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the first uh, Canelo Golovkin fight, which uh, after that fight, I don't know if you're aware of when I, me and Bob Bennett had a, a back and forth. Bob Bennett's oh, yeah. the head of the, the commission there. The, the heated reporter, man. Yes, I was a huge the fan. heated reporter. <laughs> and so that was a, a huge moment for me that I didn't realize was a huge moment. It, uh -huh. In that moment. So explain. 
So, okay. So after that fight, I, like most people, thought the scores were bullshit, but particularly one score with Adelaide Bird. I think she had a 118, 110 for Canelo. And in a post-fight press conference, nobody was talking about it. Now, a couple of the senior reporters that have full-time jobs and don't want to lose them, Mm. they were asking questions when the cameras were off, when the lights were off, when the microphones were off. Mm -hmm, As mm -hmm. soon as the cameras turn on, whoop, they're quiet. Yep. Because they don't want to piss people off and lose their job. And I was like, man, fuck this shit. So I, I just, I asked a question. That people don't remember this, but before I got to Bob Bennett, I actually ripped Oscar De La Hoya. Uh -huh. And I actually asked him, what are you going to do about this? Uh -huh. And so when Bob Bennett got up to the stage, I was like, oh, me, I got a question. And the girl who was handing out the microphones for, uh, for Golden like, Boy, no, she sir. was like, I ain't giving you the mic. <laughs> And it was actually some other dude. I don't, I don't, I can't remember who it was because it was so dark. Uh -huh. He ran up to me and said, bro, here's a mic, go. He just kind of <laughs> came up behind me. He's like, here's a mic, go. I have no idea who it was. That's still to this day. I'll probably never know who it was, but it was like my oh guardian my angel. Yeah. This girl did not want to give me the mic. She was like, uh -huh. no, you're done. I ain't letting you back on the mic. Cause you know, I don't know if Oscar winked or what, uh -huh. but this, this guardian angel comes up behind, he's literally behind me, taps me on the shoulder. Here's another mic. <laughs> and I go off on Bob Bennett and oh, all man. I was doing was telling the truth. And I wasn't trying to create a moment or go viral. I was not trying I didn't even know what the hell that shit was. Right. Yeah. I was literally just saying like, dude, this is not the first time she's had a terrible scorecard. Mm -hmm. This is one night where everyone was watching boxing. Everyone. Right, because people pay attention to boxing, the mainstream, once or twice a year. Yeah, and that once or twice a year, you can't screw it up, and you screwed it up. So now, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to say, "Oh, this is why boxing sucks. This is why I watch MMA." But that right. kind of shit, right? Which you saw a bunch of celebrities tweeting that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so I so I I ream Bob Bennett, and you know, to his defense, we've talked a bunch of times since then, and he's he's a cool guy, and he's okay. been very very good with good with me. All right, and then what happened? So uh, that moment, unbeknownst to me, went viral. And it was on national news. It was on the local news there in Vegas. It was all over national radio. It made so several MMA podcasts. Uh -huh. The entire time driving home from Vegas to LA, my phone was just, <laughs> just buzzing nonstop. It, it got to a point where my phone like kind of froze because there was so many... Uh, notifications. So like my Twitter uh, met the notification limit. It stopped for the day, my YouTube, all that. I'm like, what the hell's going on? I had uh -huh. no idea. Uh -huh. I basically just told, told him how I felt. Yeah. But then when I got home that night and logged into everything and saw what was going on, I was like, holy shit. And people are sending me clips like, dude, you're on the news here. You're on this. You're on this show. You're on that show. I'm like, what? I was on Spanish language TV. I was on Russian language TV. Uh-huh. So that changed my life in boxing. That so let me tell you, when I was, so when I listened to it, and again, I, that was before everything happened to me, like in, in boxing, I was just a fan, just watching at home, absolutely no association with anything. But I was still, you know, following all of you guys on Twitter. And I was just like one of the Twitter boys. And uh, yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh my God, Montero, you're the man of the people. <laughs> tell, tell, us how we feel. tell them how we feel. You know, it's just like such a like, yes, you know, that someone yeah. said that. So we were like, oh, like rooting for it. That was like the moment when like, you know, no bullshit. Like there was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, it, it just, uh, it was an organic kind of thing 
where I just basically told my, my spoke my mind, you know, my yeah. opinion. And there's been a couple moments like that, but that was the first one that really stuck out. And now because of that, you know, I look back and I've gone back and I've watched that clip. I've wa- I've listened to some of those clips mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I, I could have done it better. I could have asked better questions to Bob Bennett. I could have followed up better, uh-huh. but I didn't understand how big that moment was. And I wasn't, right as prepared as I should have been. And that made me, it forced me to get better. Well, you know what? I feel like if you were prepared for it better, maybe it wouldn't actually go viral because you'd sound old textbook. And maybe. In that maybe. moment, you actually just expressed your emotions the same way we were all feeling when that happened. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do is basically speak for the fans because I felt like nobody there at the press conference was. Yeah. They were all being so, I don't know what the right word is, um, controlled. Yeah. I felt like they were being controlled. And I'm like, just say what you feel, yeah. you know? And that's all I did. Did you get in trouble at all with anyone? Like, do you now? Yeah. <laughs> did, you yeah. Lose, did you lose some friends now? Or what, what happened? Like, well, that's happened plenty of times. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's happened. I, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Um, it, it's, it's crazy the way things work in the media, but also just on social media where if I criticize a fighter from a certain part of the world, I'll, I'll be called prejudiced or xenophobic against that group. Yeah. And then five days later, if I praise a fighter from that same part of the world, I'm called a sellout for that, for those people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just, it, it, it's, it's how it goes. But mm-hmm. the more you tell the truth and the, like, I'm fiercely independent, fiercely uh, independent minded, like mm-hmm. politically everything. I don't subscribe to either political party or any of that. Mm-hmm. And the the more fiercely independent you are and outspoken you are, the less friends you have, the less your phone rings. Yeah, man. You know, there's only That's a few people in the business that I really, really look up to as far as writers go. You know, can you name, can you name them? Oh yeah, you you know some of these guys. I mean, Doug Fisher, Steve Kim. That's what I thought. <laughs> um, yeah, those two guys are my favorite. But uh, there's a couple guys over in the UK like Mark Butcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's awesome. There there's several guys that I could point to. But there are very, very few that I feel really just tell it like it is. And the ones that do, it's hard to get ahead in the world, man. You've seen, you've seen some of these people that have skipped in line really fast where you're like, who the fuck is this guy? And all of a sudden, he's, got, he's on TV. He's doing PBC on Fox preview shows or right. top rank on ESPN preview shows. You're like, who the hell is this guy? I don't even know who he is yeah. because he's you know shaking hands and doing favors. Uh-huh. That's how it goes, man. It's just well, like Hollywood. So tell me about Hollywood. How was your experience huh. with being actor? <laughs> good uh, segue. Uh, <laughs> Great segue right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good segue. Um, you know, it, it's not anything that I planned. It's something that just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, you know, I made some friends in, in LA that uh, were wonderful people that one of, my, one of my boys convinced me. He was like, dude, you, you're a funny guy. I'm like, me, I'm not funny. I'm serious. He's like, no, no, you, you actually, you could be funny in like an asshole kind of way, a charming asshole, you know? I'm like, oh, okay. Like a sarcastic, my sense of humor is very sarcastic and kind of dark. Like I, that's the kind of comedy I enjoy. I feel like you'd be the great uh, dude to sit at the bar with and drink beer. Oh yeah. Give me drunk. <laughs> I got, trust me, I have a lot of great stories. Yeah. I can't tell them here on the air, but in person, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I agree with that guy. You can be super funny. If you're drunk, I don't even know you, but I feel like you're the kind of guy that like you could get into some trouble. 
Yeah, well, my mouth, my mouth gets me in trouble. My fingers get me in trouble on Twitter. I've tweeted some things before. I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have tweeted that. <laughs> you know, I've had to learn the hard way. I'm trying to get better because... I feel like I'm, your Twitter game is on point, though. Like I'm trying, man. Because with, with Twitter, I try to have fun and troll. I try to tweet some funny stuff. Right. People are just too damn serious, man. <laughs> have some fun. You know what I'm saying? Take it. Yep. Like right now, my profile picture is the Tiger King guy. I'm the Tiger yeah. King guy. Right? And Carol Baskin is your name. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm making fun of myself. But right. amazingly, there are people like, oh, look at you making it about yourself. I'm like, really, motherfucker? I'm just having fun. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's just how people are. But anyway, the, the reason why I bring all that up is one of my friends convinced me to do uh, some live improv. Mm-hmm. So oh, wow. A that's, in, that's a tough one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. There, there's a... Uh, so there's two in LA that I did. There's a uh, second city, which uh-huh. is actually out of Chicago, but they, they have one in Los Angeles. And a lot uh-huh. of those people are on like Saturday night live, those kinds of shows. And there's another one called the groundlings, which mm-hmm. is um, famous there in LA in that improv comedy scene. And I went through their, that whole program and it was the same thing. Like I w- it was my first time being around people like that. These people mm-hmm. grew up very different than me. If you're around like people in Hollywood, they usually grow up with money. They usually mm-hmm. grow up quite privileged mm-hmm. and very educated. A lot of these guys are vegetarians, you know, never <laughs> lifted a weight before, you know, these kind of guys. Yeah. So I walk in there and they don't know if I'm going to mug them or hug them, you know, they, they don't know. <laughs> so, but it was, it was interesting to kind of learn from a different side of the, I don't know, the, the world mm-hmm. and be around that. But I very quickly excelled at it. I kind of found my niche. For, Wait, so you did a good job with the improv? Because I mean, dude, improv is the worst thing ever. Like I, I tried. It's very hard. I took an acting class back in college. And I think we did like a couple improvs. And I just realized, wow, like, I mean, it's hard. Because you have it's to think on the spot hard. and you have to freaking be funny. And like. In front of a crowd of strangers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done several live improv shows on the Groundling stage and the Second City stage in Hollywood in front of, you know, these crowds are maybe 500 people. It's not like it's thousands of people, but um, it's nerve wracking. Yeah. But I actually graduated through Groundlings professional improv program. Mm -hmm. They invited me to come to their writer's lab. This is the same writer's lab that people on Saturday Night Live and these sketch shows Mm -hmm. started and trained at. Mm -hmm. And I wrote, I I wrote a show. I mean, me and like uh, several other people Mm -hmm. wrote and produced and starred in a show on their stage there. So like I did things like that where mm-hmm. that's not on tv so you, you might not see that i can mm-hmm. send you a clip mm-hmm. but um that kind of stuff i didn't realize how much that was going to help me later on mm-hmm. in boxing how so because now if i'm interviewing a fighter mm-hmm. and like in that moment with bob bennett mm-hmm. that's improv <laughs> i'm not trying to make people laugh Right. But I'm acting in the moment where there's cameras and lights and microphones everywhere. And there's a, a line of people behind me trying to get in line to ask their stupid questions so they can make a YouTube video. What's your favorite color, Bob? You know, that kind of <laughs> shit. But I'm trying to ask real questions, you know. Yeah, man, yeah. I understand. The, the boxing questions, reporters. Oh, my God. They're so uh, bad. Yeah, it's, 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 so bad. It's, it's so bad, but also it's repetitive. You know, it's like one, one reporter yeah. asks the bad question. Okay, you know, screw it. When 50 of them ask the same question, and it's bad. <laughs> We've seen, you know, you've seen fighters, right? You've probably seen Triple G in a line at a presser and there's yeah, yeah. 50 people. Exactly. And he puts on a smile, bit, but he doesn't want to be there. You know, in the back of his mind, he's saying, hurry up, motherfucker. I want to get home <laughs> to my wife and kids. I want right. to go have lunch. You know, like he doesn't want to be there. None of them do. 
But yeah, every fighter comes up and asks the stupidest question, or every fight, every interviewer asks mm-hmm. the same question. It's like, man, mm-hmm. go up there and just talk to this person like a human being. Mm-hmm. Talk and to him like he's your friend. And that's what boxers also want. You know, they absolutely. I think boxers want all, they want to show that they can offer more during like a Q&A than just like, what's your strategy? What are you going to change in the next fight? Uh, yeah, but, what are they going to tell you? Yeah. Oh, here's my whole game plan. Make sure my <laughs> opponent doesn't find out. They can't tell you that. They, you know, they, they've got to keep things very stoic, but you can ask them certain things um, and, you know, try to get underneath. And certain fighters are just hard to talk to, right? Like certain, yeah, of course. A lot of fighters are introverts. Yeah, and some of them have, have an, uh, just different energies. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I interviewed Caleb Plant for a piece I did in Ring mm-hmm. um, late last year, I think. And he was a difficult interview, mm-hmm. very guarded and protected, did not mm-hmm. want to open up. And I'd ask him questions mm-hmm. about, you know, his mother and, and certain things like that. And he mm-hmm. would give very short answers and I'd try to dig and he'd, he'd stop it. Mm-hmm. And then there's well, other Caleb guys. Caleb Plant like, went through a lot of shit recently. And uh, I feel yeah. like with him, like I can understand where, where he is like cautious of like, he doesn't want to make like a light of certain, you know, aspects of his life as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's certain like... His mother had mental illness and, you know, was not mentally healthy. And I think there's certain things related to that. He just doesn't want to talk about And I I understand Mm -hmm. that. I respect that. Mm -hmm. But then you talk to a guy like Jamel Herring, who is the the first second I talk to him, he's just an open book. He's just a Mm -hmm. wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. And anything, he'll talk about anything with you. And it's like, we've become friends after Mm -hmm. I interviewed him. And that's happened with several fighters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a former Marine too. So maybe that's it because he's my brother, right? But, uh, He's, you know, he's had tragedy in his life. He had mm-hmm. a child die. He had a, mm-hmm. his best friend die. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I could ask him anything about that stuff and he'll mm-hmm. open book. Mm-hmm. So fighters, just like all human beings have different personalities. And you see mm-hmm. that when you talk to them and you interact with them, you know, some of them are more open than others. That's kind yeah. of the fun part of what I do though. What's your favorite like you said, it's a fun part. Like, so what exactly do you do besides, so you write and then you do the interviews, right? But you also have your own podcast and you, you do the video as well. So you're like, you're in so many, you're in so many mediums and you're doing so many different things. What's the, what, what thing makes like, gives you the best kick out of what you do? I enjoy, I mean, writing is cool. It's, it's awesome when I can put out an article in ring and, Mm -hmm. you know, we publish in English and in Spanish. Mm-hmm. throughout latin america so it, it's cool when people in different countries different parts of the world will post a, mm-hmm. a picture of my article on instagram and i'm like holy shit someone in Colombia is reading my article right now you know like how cool is that nice. but my favorite thing to do is just talk about the shit i just love to talk about boxing so whether i'm interviewing a fighter or analyzing a fight doing an interview like this or like mm-hmm. something on the radio mm-hmm. something on tv whatever it is just talking about boxing that's what i enjoy doing period man i when i when i listen to your podcast i just figure like i'm thinking like wow like because you don't have a like usually you don't have like a guest on your personal podcast it's just you right it's and you like do this uh, gigantic monologue about something I, w- I would be always impressed by by the fact that you have all this information and you just spit it out spit it out nonstop, and you, you, you never stop you know you can talk about this forever and i always like admire that I don't know. It's, it's crazy when, when you're not the first person to tell me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, and again, I do think that improv training and, um, you know, some of that kind of acting experience helps mm-hmm. me with that. It's, it's being able to think on your feet and 
the doing the podcast, like, cause you just started doing this, right? Well, in English, I started, I basically started this in Russian in June, 2019. So a little like, like, you know, in June, basically. So but you're still in English, a baby. Yeah, I'm still a baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll find after doing this for several years, yeah. you'll start to find your own rhythm, your own personal mm -hmm. rhythm, your own personal pace. Mm -hmm. And then it will be easier to just flow, freestyle, just go with it. Mm -hmm. That takes 100 episodes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, if you go back and watch my first few videos, I sound like an idiot. <laughs> you know, I still sound like an idiot half the time, but I sounded like a complete idiot back then. It, it took a lot of practice, a lot of screwing up, mm -hmm. really, to find that rhythm, your own personal speed. And I mm -hmm. think too many people try to do someone else's speed. It's like, no, nah, mm -hmm. man, find your own rhythm, find your own style. Right. And then it, it, people will start to be drawn to you, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, we'll see. Like, I, I, what I was, I was just thinking about this yesterday. Like, this is my, my podcast. Like, it happens so it's kind of weird. I always sort of say that this is not a boxing podcast, but like 90% of my English speaking guests are all in boxing. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to diversify and all of that because I want to make this podcast more about just interesting people in general, sort of like Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan kind of style. You just invite, you know, That's school cool. people and talk about stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm still trying to find like a character of the podcast, like what it is. Like I was actually before very against doing this, like uh, recording webcam, webcam podcast. I would like eh, always cringe when I would look at that in terms of like the interview because I was like, well, no, like I want huge, like I want the great quality of sound and I want the, the actual person in front of me so, we, so that we can really connect. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the reason I'm doing this now is like, okay, well, I have an excuse now because everyone d does it, right? You cannot do it actually like face-to-face, -face, uh, person to person. And so I'm actually discovering that it's not that bad. You know, I'm, first of all, I have a better angle of my face. Like people can actually see me instead of just like this. Like I still right. don't have any cameras. And second of all, it's, it's actually, you know, it's great. I can connect with people all around the world. Uh, I just had a podcast with a person in New York and Los Angeles, and then you're here in, in, in Atlanta. So it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. So I don't know. I don't know what this podcast is, but so far it just brings me joy, joy and just, you'll I'm, find it. Yeah. And like, I didn't know what the neutral corner was like the first few episodes I was sitting on my couch, just kind of answering some, uh, e questions like email questions. Mm -hmm. And then I talked for 10 minutes and that was it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just mm -hmm. did something. I just yeah. put something out there. And after a while it starts to take shape, you know, it starts mm -hmm. to become something and then, you know, so you'll probably two or three years from now, you'll really, really know. And then you'll look back at these early episodes and you'll be like, Ugh. You know, like, <laughs> that's what I do. I look back at the early ones like, oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> but you know, you got to go through that process. For sure, man. For sure. So, okay. So once you're in Los Angeles, you decided, all right, it's time to move. Like how easy this decision came to you? Were you like constantly having that on your mind? Like I got to move out of here or something like spark. You're like, fuck it. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Like something happened. What was that driving factor? Um, it was a process, but, you know, so I've been with my fiance for six years mm -hmm. and when we got engaged, you know, we had talked about, she, I actually, she moved in with me about a year before we got engaged. So I, you know, I was smart. We lived together for like a year. I'm like, okay, we don't want to kill each other. <laughs> we can move forward with this. And, you know, we talked about if we're going to get married and build this future together, she said she didn't want to live in LA. And like, I understand that. Mm -hmm. 
maybe again, maybe one day if there's a big job opportunity, you know, if, if, if something with boxing brings me back there or somewhere else, maybe mm-hmm. we'll go. Mm-hmm. But for like early marriage years and, and having babies and stuff, she just did not want to do that there. And I understood that. Mm-hmm. I saw certain things in LA getting crazier and crazier, things getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just became harder to have a normal productive life there. It really mm-hmm. is. It's very difficult. It's a tough place to live, man. Just like uh, New York and other mm-hmm. places like that. It's very, mm-hmm. very expensive. And all my family's on the East Coast. You know, mm-hmm. it's thousands of miles away from my family. I spent, I'm, I'm 40 right now. I'm going I'm to mm-hmm. be 41 in two months. So I basically spent my 30s completely alone, completely mm-hmm. away from my family. I might see them once a year. Sometimes it was two, three years before I'd see a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like that was tough, man. And I started to kind of miss those little things. Mm-hmm. And now like no one lives in Atlanta, but they're closer. I could fly to Detroit. It's, it's 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not five hours. You know what For I'm sure, saying? Yeah. So I could do like a weekend trip to Detroit and it's, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I can see family now a lot easier. And it was, it was just, it wasn't one thing. It was a collection of things. And like I said, I just felt like, okay, in 2018, I could sell my condo right now for top dollar mm-hmm. and take this money and start something different. And again, so impressed it, by the timing of it, man. You the just, timing you was spot beautiful. on. It, it actually, um, in my, my building, I think we had 71 units in my building mm-hmm. and my sale set a record in the building for the highest sale ever. <laughs> so awesome. I was like, I did all right. And I did yeah. all the renovations myself. When I bought it, it was a fucking dump. Nothing worked. There Saved a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I made pretty good money on it. I had to spend money to make money. But mm-hmm. like, because I did all the work myself, um, I, you know, it wasn't that much. I was able yeah. to do it. And um, coming out here with a little bit of cash, it's a position that growing up the way I grew up, everything that I've been through, yeah, I felt like, I felt like a millionaire. I'm not. But, you know, it felt like, this is amazing. You know, like I've made it. It's just kind yeah. of the feeling I had. So that's so cool, man. So now uh, sitting in Atlanta, you know, disregarding the what's happening right now with the quarantine. And once you're going to settle with your personal life, you know, you get married and finish the house and all of that. What's next for you? You've mentioned that you're going to hustle with uh, putting the putting boxing in Atlanta. Uh, is there, are there any other projects that you're trying to get into and uh, basically develop? Well, uh, I was this year going to, I was planning to fight in a, in a tournament this year, maybe doing some masters. So uh-huh. in, in USA boxing and the amateurs uh, system here, I think if you're 35 and over, you could go into the, what they call the masters division. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm registered. And there's a tournament, the, the gym that I train at here, Mm-hmm. The guy who runs it is the chairman of USA Boxing Masters Division, national chairman. He's actually a national champion, I think, three times. So that's who I spar with and train with a lot. And mm-hmm. he was going to put on a tournament in August that I wanted to fight in. But I don't know if it's going to happen now because of all yeah. this shit. Yeah. But I've been trying to keep in shape. You know, I've been, I just did this program and everything. Mm-hmm. The only thing is I haven't sparred in forever. So I'm really rusty right now. If I sparred, I'd get my ass whooped because mm-hmm. I'm so you know, sloppy. Mm-hmm. But I was w- wanting to do that. And, you know, my fiance is not crazy about that. But I told her, let me do this before we have kids. <laughs> so let me just, you know, and that, that could be my way of kind of 
it meeting the commission people here, mm-hmm. making those introductions, you know, and then getting into the other side of it and seeing what I could do here. On top of that, it's just, um, you know, building up my show, The Neutral Corner. I want to continue to build that up. I'm st- I just started bringing guests on. So the last uh, six weeks or so, I've had guests on. Yeah, and you've been a guest on, uh, I guess, like returning guests on The Boxing Rant, one of my favorite boxing oh, podcasts. Yeah. I've been on there a few <laughs> times. Yeah, I love The Boxing Rant. I, I love that because those guys, again, they're, they're not media, so they can say whatever they want. I, just I say crack- whatever I want, but I can't go as far <laughs> as they go. Like, they go... <laughs> All the way. Oh, whenever it comes out, I just put it on TV right away. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. And yeah, now dude. they're all like full video. And there is just hilarious. It's like a comedy show, but with boxing, it's just like, it, I just laugh so hard. Whatever they're going to come up with, it's just crazy. I mean, the best I'll, part about it is, again, like they're not, they make fun of themselves. Right, right. You I know, mean, sometimes they make fun of them. And, and that's the whole thing, man. Be, you know, show that humility and sometimes just have fun with yourself. Yeah. And they talked about shitting his pants. <laughs> Kenny talked about shitting his pants a couple of weeks ago. Most people would not admit to that. And this is where he's talking about shitting his pants on a golf course. That's, that's why it's great. Uh, you know, I've never shat my pants. I'll say, I, I, I will say that. I'm going um, to cut it as a, as a promo for this, for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I've never, never shat my pants. <laughs> <laughs> hey, never say never. Maybe it'll happen now. You know, maybe I'll be walking upstairs and I'll shit myself right as soon as we're done recording. But so far, I have not shit my pants. But, um, but yeah, man. Um, you know, so just continue building up my show. Now I could take phone calls on my show. Yeah, so I noticed that. That was awesome. I you like got to call in one Hotline. of these times, man. All right, um, man. <laughs> and, you know, just doing that. Just doing that. And then continue writing for the ring and building up my profile there. But I know that at some point, if I want to really take this to the next level, I got to go back where the action is. So, mm-hmm. look, you know, maybe uh, five years from now or so, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe we'll make another move. We, we shall see. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I mean, New York can be also huge in terms of, I mean, it's not necessarily can be Los Angeles, like the zone's main office in, in New York right now. And, and then right. Madison Square Garden and, and the commission. It couldn't there. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. like New York, you know, like it just, I'd have to convince my fiance. She doesn't love it. Yeah. But the Vegas is another one. Like mm-hmm. I don't particularly like Vegas. I don't really enjoy Vegas. It's mm-hmm. a trailer park in the desert. No mm-hmm. disrespect. Cause I have a lot of great, wonderful friends that live there whom I love. Mm-hmm. But I just, maybe I haven't seen the best part of it. The only time I've been to Vegas is to cover boxing. So, mm-hmm. and some of my friends have actually told me that. Like, dude, you need to come out here just for a vacation and let me show you the real Vegas. Right. So, maybe we'll see. Well, but Vegas do that is another first. one that's cheap. Try it out first. Go for a vacation there first. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> I'll do that because uh, I shouldn't talk shit about Vegas so much. I, I should go there. I should have an open mind. But Vegas would be like Atlanta where it's cheap. And it's kind of mm-hmm. wide open, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's boxing there. Mm-hmm. So that's another one that I've thought about, you know, maybe that would be a, another, another move. We'll see. But I'm actually very passionate about your passion, so to say that, you know, to start something in Atlanta, it's, it's, it's very, how do you say it? Frontier, whatever, you know, yeah. trying to get something somewhere, conquer something, establish something. That's build my legacy. personality. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't, I'm not very good at doing marketing and doing networking. I hate networking and kissing ass. <laughs> like, I just can't do that shit. Uh-huh. All I do is just put myself out there and yeah. hopefully in the end, good things happen. Yeah. You know, so I'll, I'll do that. Now there's other people out there who do the networking and kiss the ass and say all the right things and suck all the right dick. I did. I say that. Sorry. <laughs> Let me take that back. Let me rewind that. But so they're going to move up in the world faster. <laughs> 
but okay. I'm not really worried about that. You know, I'm just going to put myself out there and try to put out good content. And look, some people are never going to like my personality. Some people are just, just going to hate me. But as long as most people like me, I'm good. <laughs> so I'm good. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, Michael, it was amazing talking to you. And thanks so much for coming onto my podcast. How can people reach out to you and find you? Uh, it, was a, it was a real pleasure, man. Let's do this again sometime. And you got a call into my show. Will do. Um, Montero Unboxing. So you can find me, you know, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, everything. Montero Unboxing. Just look for me. You'll find me. Thank you, sir. And good luck to you. Thank you. And same to you. Thank you Stay so safe. much. Will do.